Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Podcasters for justice. Black Lives Matter. We are united to condemn the tragic murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and many, many others at the hands of police. This is a continuation of the systematic racism pervasive in the US and the UK since their inception. And we are committed to standing against racism in all its forms. We believe that to be silent is to be complicit. We believe that black lives matter. We believe that black lives are more important than property. We believe that we have a responsibility to use our platforms to speak out against this injustice whenever and wherever we are witness to it. In creating digital media, we have built audiences that return week after week to hear our voices, and we will use our voices to speak against anti-blackness and police brutality. And we encourage our audiences to be educated, engaged, and to take action. If you would like to take action as an audience member, you can do so by donating to any of the following. The links can be found in the show notes. The George Floyd Memorial Fund, the Minnesota Freedom Fund, Black Visions Collective, Campaign Zero, Black Lives Matter, and Minneapolis NAACP branch. Sign petitions and sign up at Color of Change to be notified of more opportunities to take action. Black Lives Matter. The Blast from Our Past Network. And welcome back to Why This Film, the podcast where we reach back into your childhood, pick out a movie, rewatch it, and have a chat about it. I'm Emily Slade, and welcome back. You watched it so many times before, and now you're gonna watch it again. But it's been so many years since you last saw it, and now you show it to your friends, and they're like, What? What am I watching? Why? Th- what? what? Why? Why, Why this film? film? And I'm joined today by Rafe from the Have Not Seen This podcast. Hello. Hey, how you doing? Good, thank you. Thank you for joining me. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. After I talked your ear off about Labyrinth. Oh, no, that was (laughs) honestly one of the most entertaining conversations I had and a great movie to discuss anyway, so. I can talk about that movie for days, but we're not here to talk about Labyrinth. We are here to talk about 1983's War Games, the IMDb breakdown. A young man finds a back door into a military central computer in which reality is confused with game playing, possibly starting World War Three. I'd never heard of this movie. What's your relationship with it? I still cannot believe you've never heard of this movie. That just shocks the heck out of me. Um, I don't remember when I first saw it. it, it obviously, I was too young to see it in theaters when it came out. Uh, so I saw it on, on VHS. Um, this one my relationship with this movie is you know i love it but i also revisiting it it reminded me how much it scared the hell out of me because i did grow up with the cold war going on and so the idea of world war three the idea of nuclear uh armaments that that was all a reality of my existence and 
I, I was really thinking over the last week, was it that I was afraid of nuclear bombs going off and this movie um, contributed to that? Or was I afraid of it because of movies like this? Yeah, it's such an interesting premise. So when I first came to it, I thought it was just sort of Ender's Game, The Last Starfighter, even Cloak and Dagger type movie. Um, but then the last 10 minutes is like, boom, nuclear yeah. war is bad. <laughs> I was like, whoa, I've learned a valuable lesson um, with some really cool graphics. And yeah, like I, I was completely um, uh, in, what's the word? Like, like I couldn't not look at the screen for the mm -hmm. last bit. I mean, it won like awards for its graphics at the time. Um, but it was just the way that the tension had been built and the way that you think you're safe and then you, you, you're not. And, um, you're right. The images of the thing trying to figure it out. It's, it's scary. It's scary stuff. I think if I had seen it as a kid, I'd have been petrified of like war, especially if you were like, cause I assumed it had been based on a book, but it hadn't, it was no. originally written for screen. So it's interesting that they've decided to make a kid's movie about something that was either happening or had just recently happened. And to make this point to be like, hey, in case you grow up and become president, nuclear war is bad. Learn the yeah. lesson. Yeah, and I was reading up on the, the history of the movie and the legacy of the movie, and I, I didn't realize that uh, uh, Ronald Reagan, who was president at the time, actually this movie inspired him to start looking into computer network safety, which, I mean, you look at the movie, obviously computers were very rudimentary at the time. You have to laugh at the fact that you've got those five inch floppy disks, you know, back when they actually were floppy. And I mean, you have to laugh at the computer technology, but that's what it was like at the time. Mm -hmm. And Reagan saw this movie um, and actually then went to his defense counsel to see if this was actually a reality. And the interesting thing was the the people they turned to to look at how real this could have been actually served as creative consultants for the film. So they were the ones, it's kind of like this cycle of, they were the ones who helped make the film realistic by contributing what could actually happen. And then you have the president who sees it and then they end up becoming the people who are, uh, counseled on whether this could happen. And it's like, yeah, that's how the movie came about. That's crazy. That's so cool. That like, yeah. art influenced life. Yeah, it is. It's a fun little concept that suddenly becomes very serious. Yes. And so you've got, you open in like a military base where, I'm not gonna lie, I was like, I always forget about that opening scene. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because it lasts a while, and it, or at least it felt like it did. And it, but it's just to establish that, look, men can't be trusted to set off nuclear weapons because they refuse to turn the key to set them off. So we've invented this um, AI, almost this this robotic machine, yeah. to do it for us, and that's a good idea, and we should all do that. So it just you have to that. you have to appreciate the men in that case, though. Um, I, I didn't know who either of them were, obviously, when I first saw the movie. I know I revisited it uh, in the, I want to say, mid to late 90s, and I recognized John Spencer, who was the one who actually doesn't turn the key because he was on L.A. Law, uh, <laughs> among other things. But then rewatching it this time, I was like, oh, my God, that's Michael Madsen. 
as what? the other guy. The guy who, you know, from Reservoir Dogs, the one yeah. who cuts off the guy's ear and does the little dance. That's Michael so, Madsen who pulls the gun on the other guy. I had no idea. I didn't recognize him until the scene was almost done with. And it's when he kept saying, you know, that's not the procedure, sir. You have to put, you know, put your hand on the key, sir. I suddenly was like, that's Michael Madsen? And it was one of his first roles. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's insane. <laughs> I love him. Yeah, and he's so young. I mean, he's yes, such a baby in this movie. <laughs> I literally had no clue. I didn't really know many of the people in this movie. Um, Dabney Colburn plays McKittrick. I only right. got to know him through watching Cloak and Dagger for this. Which is one of the rare movies where he's not a bad guy. I mean, I grew up with Dabney Coleman, and this was kind of very representative of who he was. He was almost always a, a villain or a, a, a jerk at the very least. He had a TV show where kind of the shtick was he was a jackass, um, you know, this movie. And then it was years later before I saw Cloak and Dagger, and you get to see him as the hero. And it was like, what a turn for him. Because I only know him as a loving father and super spy hero icon for a like, nine-year-old. And here he is being the absolute worst. And I'm oh, like, yeah. what's going on? This man's nice. Like, ugh. No. <laughs> <laughs> so weird. No, if you see almost any other movie that he's in, he's, he's a jerk. He's a villain. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah, no, it really, it took, like, I knew it was him, but I was still like, am I sure it's him? Because he's just being so unnecessarily nasty. <laughs> like, Yeah, I find it really interesting, the politics like again it's not something you think of as a kid and it's not represented here as overbearing as like say star wars the phantom menace where politics is like presented front and center but there is a really political aspect here between his character who's a computer guy mckittridge and the general who you know wants to keep the he he just thinks of things from a military standpoint and that actually becomes really important later in the picture but the adversarial relationship the two of them have when McKittrick is trying to get the men who failed that test at the beginning replaced by computers, um, that becomes, it's, it's political, but it's not done in such an overbearing way that it's going to turn the audience off. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. If anything, it, it, once it got into itself and was like, this is what's happening, I was like, okay, I can get on board with this. This is kind of fun. Because I didn't look up anything before I watched it because I wanted to be surprised. Um, <laughs> I knew going in the uh, baby Matty B, Matthew Broderick. Is this pre-Ferris Bueller? It is, yeah. he uh, Ferris Bueller doesn't come for, I want to say, another three or four years. The Breakfast Club doesn't come for another two years. I was going to say, because, yeah, it's, it's baby Matthew Broderick and baby Ali Sheedy who have such good chemistry. Mm -hmm. Like, they really do. I was surprised because... I fully believed their sort of growing relationship. They don't force every, anything. They don't do anything too over the top or too underplayed. It's just, it's really sweet. I genuinely rooted for them. And like, I don't know, I didn't look it up, but like, did they date? Like, it's so real. I don't, I, that I don't know because any, that didn't show up in anything that I looked at. So maybe they did, maybe they didn't. But yeah, their chemistry is, is wonderful. There's a moment, um, where he he got called gets called to the window because he didn't fasten the trash cans and 
he gets ready to leave the room and she kind of traps him in between her legs. She has her legs up on the desk and traps him in between her legs there. And it's such an adorable moment because he's so awkward. He doesn't know what to do. And she's so obviously flirting with him. Yeah. And I just, I love that moment in particular. I mean, there's lots of great moments between the two of them, but mm -hmm. for some reason, that moment in particular was just like, that's so adorable. <laughs> this is the thing, it's very real. It's like the actors almost had a say in what they wanted to do, because it was just, it felt like two human people interacting. And you don't usually get that with like teenage romances in sci-fi nuclear war movies. <laughs> Even rom-coms. Right. It like, it's better than most rom-coms I've seen. And it... It felt like a valid part of the story. It didn't feel like they'd shoehorned a relationship in there. It felt like these two people were building something together and going yeah. to do something together. The, I did make one note. There was a, a um, you know, he's doing, so he's trying to hack into this computer and he, he's trying to find a back door into this computer. He thinks it's a game company. We should mm -hmm. also state that. Um, and he's trying to find a back door into it. And he's, he's doing all this research on Professor Falcon, who programmed the computer. And at one point, he shows her a video of Professor Falcon. And she suddenly is just like, she's so captivated by it. She's like so excited to see it. And my first thought was, girlfriends don't do that. Girlfriends <laughs> are not usually that enthralled by something that their boyfriend is looking up. I mean, they're very early on in the relationship, so I would well, believe it more that she's like, you're interested in a thing? No way, me too. I love that thing that you just came up with. It's my, it's one of my favorite things. So I, I would I would buy that because they're still sort of courting at this stage. If yeah, and then... If you out three years, then yeah, I'd be like... Mm -mm. <laughs> and then there's a moment later in the movie where, you know, everything has gone south. And this is like like the climactic scene. And they realize something really bad is going on. And her response is, I told you not to play with that thing. And my little note that I put was, well, that's a girlfriend. That's, yeah. that's the- <laughs> <laughs> That's where she reaches girlfriend thing. Cause also she doesn't really tell him not to. Right. Um, at all ever. No, the only thing she tells him not to do is change her grade. Change and then she her changes her mind about that. <laughs> yeah, when she said that I was like, it was jarring because I was like, that's the first thing that, that's been said between the two of them that I do not believe, sounds very cliched, is annoying and wrong. So. <laughs> but I yeah. thought, but I, to me, that was more the truth of a, of a relationship than her being excited about the video. It was just like, well, I told you not to do that. Like, maybe, maybe I've been in the wrong relationships, but that just felt more true to me than anything else. <laughs> yeah, no, it is fair, especially surrounded by government agents. You're like, I had no part in this. He wanted to do it, and now World War Three is happening, and like, that's all on Matthew Broderick. Well, and that's, and, and she still, she, she gets that other moment earlier on in the picture when for, things first get south, and, you know, he's arrested or detained. He's never, well, no, I guess they read him his rights. Uh, he's arrested and then manages to escape. And she, he calls her, you know, I'm in trouble. I need a plane ticket. And her response is, is this because you changed my grade? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Valid. <laughs> and I, I love that. I mean, she's just, she's involved, but yet she is kind of clueless about a lot of what's going on, which yeah. I like, like it makes yeah. sense that her character would be separate from what's going on um as far as awareness goes i love ali sheedy and this, this is probably my favorite ali sheedy role i've only ever seen her in the breakfast club and she's my oh, really? favorite in the breakfast club yeah 
Yeah, she's. I mean, she's phenomenal in the Breakfast Club, but I think I like her more here. Mm-hmm. You know, not that I don't like her in the Breakfast Club, but she, but she's just she's so adorable in this movie. Yeah, she really is. Like, the both of them are. Both of them are like. They feel like fresh new screen actors. Mm-hmm. Well, they also were. Know what they're doing. Like it's just pure talent. Like they're just very natural, very down to earth. And their chemistry is so good. Like, I couldn't get over it. It's the one thing I've written, like, a hundred times. Like, <laughs> I love them so much. I want them to go out. I want them to marry. Um, yeah, I, I'm such a, fun, a fan of young Matthew Broderick roles that it's kind of yeah. hard to rank them. I mean, I, I think Ferris Bueller is going to win for everybody, but this <laughs> is up there. I love I love this. I love him in Lady Hawk. Uh, yes, I love I him in... He's in Lady Hawk. Oh, God, he's so great. His his discussions with God in Lady Hawk just make the movie for me. But uh, I, I, I love him in this because he is... He does feel, for the most part, real. Um, you know, he, he feels like somebody who's, who's interested in computers, who, and and that was kind of me. I I mean, obviously I didn't have the technology he had, but I could relate to that part of him. He's awkward with Ali Sheedy flirting with him because he doesn't get it because he's, he's, that's not his mindset. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and then like the scene on, on the beach, uh, when they're off on the Island where he talks about not ever having learned to swim. And he, he says, you know, um, he, I always thought there was time. That was the, that's the moment that resonated with me when I first saw this, uh, uh, with that fear of nuclear nightmare going on. Yeah. That moment just feels so human that, you know, if the threat of nuclear weapons is a reality, which I, I guess it's not really today, but it definitely was when I first saw this movie. Mm-hmm then that's where we are. I, I always thought there would be time to learn how to swim. I always thought there'd be time to do this. And it feels so, so real to me. And helpless. It's so sad. It's so sad. Cause it's at a point in the movie where they've, they've tried everything. They've taken a stupid ferry to some random Island and found this man who was supposedly dead. And he's basically just been like, it's time for humanity to start over. Fuck it. Let's all just oh die. My- God, yeah, like, that, that's his response. <laughs> <laughs> we came all the way out here to stop World War Three, and you're like, maybe it's a good idea. It's like the end of Cabin in the Woods. I was like, are they really going to go down this path? Are we going to end the world? Is that how this movie ends? <laughs> to me, that's why Cabin in the Woods is actually social commentary. I, I remember writing an editorial about that when that movie came out, that the ending really is kind of a scathing commentary on the millennial generation, that they would rather let the world burn than sacrifice themselves for something. <laughs> and here's, here's kind of the opposite, where the younger generation is like, we've got to do something, and the older generation is like, nope, fuck uh. it. let the world burn and it's like dude i know you lost your son but that doesn't mean the whole world needs to pay the price Mm -hmm. and yet there's almost a poignancy with what's going on in our world today you know we have this virus we have everybody taking shelter we have you know you can't go out in large groups you have this and his comment about nature uh sometimes nature decides it's time to give up you know nature decides and it's like maybe this is a little scary to be watching right now yeah it did feel a little bit relevant because like we are the bacteria on the earth it's like climate change the earth will get through it fine it's humanity that'll die out yeah um yeah it's 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 scary and he he's so 
He's just such a good actor, and I think people forget that because he's a child star, so you don't take him seriously to start off with. And then he's a, he's very sort of musical theatre and comedy as well, which are both not taken very seriously either. Um, but when he's doing this, it's it, he really is just helpless and scared and sad, and like you really do feel it, it jumps out of you at you, and. Um, after Ali Sheedy's excitement as well, like, well, let's just fucking swim. Let's let's do what we can. Let's just swim the island. <laughs> let's fucking do it. And he's like, I can't, and now I never will be able to because the world is ending. And you're like, oh, I don't know. Um, so of course, then they kiss because when you're gonna die? Why, why not? <laughs> well, you know what. <laughs> A, a modern take on this movie would have them do more than kiss because I guarantee you he not only didn't learn how to swim, but he's so awkward around girls. He's a virgin. I and so the the modern movie would have him take care of that. You know, well, this is the thing. I was surprised that they didn't go further. I was like, and here comes the, oh, helicopter. The, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate cock block there. <laughs> <laughs> I was, yeah, I was, and I, I kind of liked that they didn't go any further because it, it kept an innocence to their relationship. Um, yeah. However. Well, that's that's very 80s, uh, you know, especially early 80s and into the John Hughes era. That's very typical of those kinds of comedies that we're going to keep it rather chaste. Yeah. And, and there's a part of that that I miss. Like, I remember yeah. uh, seeing a romantic comedy in the in the early to mid 90s i don't remember what year it came out but it ends with a kiss and i was like how nice that we have a movie like that anymore because nowadays mm -hmm. the kiss is early in the film and it ends with you know sex or whatever mm -hmm. so it's kind of nice to revisit that era where it's true that's but the height of the on-screen relationship i wonder if that was because every time you did have sex on screen it was like a villainous act and therefore that's why in the horrors if you were teenagers having sex you would then die or um, you were the, the evil cheerleader because you were not a virgin anymore. And so I, I think people started introducing it to get away from that stigma. I don't know, I'm making this up, but like that's not that That's a really good point. The reason that they're like able that. To, to win at the end of the movie is because they didn't have sex. Like if yeah. they had gone, if they had had sex, they'd gone to the compound, Joshua would be like, nope. Yeah, <laughs> the end. <laughs> the end, you, you had sex, nukes. <laughs> <laughs> have sex as well because we shouldn't be ashamed but then it but also with the lack of censorship coming in as well people then were just like well, we can do that now just fucking just do it all the time and it's like <laughs> how about we write a good story first and if it's relevant to the story then we put it in and people are like no nah. we want good trailer shots let's make a good movie no good trailer shots well, um, well and i think the the creation you know this is pre-pg-13 so that, that rating didn't exist at the time that this movie came out. And I think once that rating came out, that opened the door for people to be a little more physical on screen and not necessarily have to vilify it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. There's a whole history there and a whole other conversation to be had. But you're right. I agree. It's, it's nice that they don't go, like, too far. <laughs> it's just be awkward like you're on this man's property like by the sea it's gonna be cold as well like 
It's the wrong place. It's the wrong place. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, come on. It looks like a pretty comfy cabin. <laughs> it is? No. <laughs> um, so the guy, Falcon, is played by John Wood, who I believe is like, well, he's, he's British to start off with, but not the villain, which is good. No, no, not a British villain. <laughs> um, Although he's a little villainous in that kind of nihilistic approach of just yeah. like, you know, nature knows how to start over. We're just... We're just a hiccup on the earth, and if this ends us, then this ends us, and the world will go on. Yeah, never mind. You won't go on. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So the the it's well paced, I think, and it's well structured. Where sort of Matthew Broderick breaks in and starts playing this game. We sort of establish everyone quite quickly, and then he breaks in and starts playing it, and he suddenly realizes what he's done, and he's arrested for it, and it sort of plods along, and we we come back and. Um, uh, he brings Falcon back to the military base and they're like, hey, we think we figured out how to do it. And they kind of, they kind of, they, they do it. I'm not making any sense, but like... They, no, you are. You think the movie's over. You're like, oh, hooray, brilliant. And then Joshua is like... Still trying to, to find the codes. I had, yeah. I had to ask my dad, because he's he, he'd seen this movie like four times randomly. He was like, you've never heard of this movie? I'm like, no, it's like exactly the kind of movie I would not ever have seen. <laughs> <laughs> Everything about it, I was like, nope. Um, but it's, it's, it's really, really good, especially this last 20 minutes where, yeah, Joshua has been built to ignore anyone that tries to shut him down, anyone that tries to override him. It's all part of the game. Um, I didn't know what tic-tac-toe was. What? Uh, we call it noughts and crosses in England. Oh, okay. But there's that, there's that cultural divide again. <laughs> <laughs> so they were like, you ever played tic-tac-toe? I was like, what? No. She's like, you always lose. You can never win. And I'm like, what the fuck is tic-tac-toe? Because then I was like, the only other place I've ever heard it is when Catwoman in Batman Returns goes tic-tac-toe on like someone's face with her claws. And I always used to be like, cute, whatever. <laughs> um, Didn't know what it meant though, huh? Had no idea. And then when he, he was like, it's got to be in here somewhere. Type it in. And they get tic-tac-toe, knots and crosses, up on the screen. And I was like, oh, it's knots and crosses. Oh. <laughs> And I had to, like, take a moment for every single time that had been mentioned in an American movie to, like, filter through to be like, like, tick, 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 tick. Now I get it. I get that as well. Now I understand that reference. Ah, yes. And when they did in that as well. Uh-huh. Okay. I'm with you. Anyway. So you're going to play Noughts and Crosses slash Tic-Tac-Toe. Tic-Tac-Toe. Yeah. Which is very clever because they were trying to teach the machine to see that there's no... But you can win noughts and crosses, just not if you're paying attention. Not, not, yeah, I guess not if you're paying attention and if you're playing against a not intelligent, you know, I mean, it's it's a kid's game. And the yeah. reason it's a kid's game is because kids don't have that same strategical approach. Mm -hmm. So you can beat a kid, but when you get older, you, you realize it's a futile game that there's no there's no winning it if you're playing against an adequate partner because they're going to go, you know they're going to kids play it to win and they yeah. don't realize that they can play it to block the other person yeah yeah it's um, so interesting and there's and because they bring it up in the movie earlier he's like 
do you ever play tic-tac-toe anymore? And Ali Sheedy's like, no, you play it when you're a kid. And you're absolutely right, because you play to win, and then you learn that you can play to defend instead of attack, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. It's very clever. It's very, very clever. I'm like, maybe it's not. Maybe I'm just being stupid about it. But I was like, this is really cute. They're, they're making the machine play tic-tac-toe enough times that it realizes it's futile. So then it starts trying it with the nuclear war options, where it's like, okay, if the Russians fire first, this'll happen. Um, okay, that winners, none. And it just does that with every single option. And it's fascinating to watch because you're waiting, like, like obviously there's not going to be a winner, but you are still just like, is is it going to figure it out though? Because the movie does such a good job of convincing me that it could have an ending where they blow up the world. Right. Because the robot is just evil and that's the story. Um, but well, the thing is the robot's them. not evil. It's, it's just, it hasn't, I mean, humans were taking the approach with World War III. Humans were taking the approach of mutually assured destruction. The humans knew that World War III was not going to be winnable. The second that a nuke went off, it was about mutually assured destruction, that you may destroy me, but I'm going to make sure I destroy you too. Yeah. And Joshua didn't know that. Joshua had never learned that. That hadn't been programmed into him. But at the same time, that, that's part of the important element is Joshua was not programmed to actually do this. Joshua pro was programmed to play games. Mm -hmm. And so... That's where the big mistake comes into play is McKittrich doesn't really make that connection. He knows Joshua is smart because it's a machine that was built to learn, but he, I guess he doesn't see the connect, the disconnect between playing games and making it reality. It's really interesting. You brought up Ender's game because I guess that's, and I've never made that connection, but that's what the adults essentially are doing in Ender's game is the kids don't have that disconnection between games and reality and the adults are exploiting that mm -hmm. to have the kids fight the war for them. Mm -hmm. And McKittrich doesn't see that disconnect and he puts a computer that's in charge of games or is, is designed for games in charge of the real thing. And so the computer has to learn that it's not real. I, I love that ending with it. It, it realizing tic-tac-toe is an exercise in futility and then going from that to global thermonuclear war and running those scenarios and realizing that's an excellent an, an, an act of futility. And you end up with that excellent line about the only winning move is not to play. Yeah. And it's so, I mean, it's such a poignant line. It's so good. I was glued to the screen because not only were the graphics incredible, you just have these screens that were projected live so the actors could see them of, of the nukes going off in all the different countries on the map and then it running through super quick, figuring out that there would be no winners and it runs through every single country and every single option. And then, yeah, it's like, the only way to win is not to play. And then it's like, how about a nice game of chess? And you're just yes! Like, oh. Because chess is winnable. Yeah. Because, because chess, and chess ends in stalemates, but it is a game of strategy that does have the chance of victory as opposed to tic-tac-toe, as opposed to global thumor. I mean, like, that's what Joshua has realized is these other games, you can't win, so let's play chess. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, it's so good, and you feel the relief in the room, and you feel like... And it's, I really like that there's not much to it where they're like... Um, let the kid play, like let Matthew Broderick have a go. And like one person is like, no. And then everyone else is like, shut up. Let Matthew Broderick what, play. 
what I particularly love about that is Matthew Product reaches for the keyboard and it's a military soldier who tries to stop him and Ali Sheedy's the one who says, no, let him play. Yeah. And they just do it. And it's like, they would not be listening to her. <laughs> Were you listening to this 15-year-old girl with no military experience? Yes. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. She just gave you an order and you're going to listen to it, deal with it. <laughs> and it's cute. It's really cool. I mean, um, Ali Sheedy doesn't have much of a role to play in the finale. It's nice that she's there. Get a woman in the movie. But really, she has no sort of way there are women in the military base one of them sexually harassed um, yes that's, a, that, that's an awkward scene nowadays isn't it <laughs> it's so weird i was just like oh woman awesome what's she doing oh she's being sexually harassed excellent but if you if you watch the climax of the film those last 20 minutes of those last 20 minutes matthew broderick isn't that active in at no. least 10 of them you know that that it, it's really the 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 central characters in those last 20 minutes really is the computer mm. and the, the general and, you know, Falcon comes into play, you know, his, yeah. with, I, I love his plea. I mean, I, I love John Wood in this. He's, yeah. he's so subtle with the role. I mean, yeah. it's like, yes, he's given up on humanity, but he's not flamboyant about it he's not he's also not defeated about it he just wants to live on his own and do his own thing but when he gets there and he tells the general you know do you uh what is he he says are, are you prepared to destroy the enemy do you think they know that then don't yeah you know it's he's so calm and so collected but also so energetic at the same time and it was almost like a fascination where he was like He'd given up on everything. He'd given up on life. He was like, oh, there's going to be World War III, brilliant, whatever. And then he comes back into the military base, and it's almost like he's reinvigorated with what he's seeing. But exactly. he's not over the top about it. He's just like, okay, this is cool. Like, what are we doing? Oh, we're doing this. Okay, How, have you tried this? What about this right. thing? Well, I'm here. Let's fucking go. <laughs> but, but from the moment he tells them, well, don't, then, like, the next five minutes of screen time, none of the major characters really have anything that they're doing other than sitting back and watching the result of having convinced the general not to uh you know fire anything not to not to scramble any weapons they're, the the climax of the film really is watching what happens when we finally convince the military not to do something yeah and that everybody gets to live and it's so tense it's so weirdly mature and dark for a kid's movie because I was really gripped as an adult and I don't know if I would have been as a kid because I wouldn't have understand the seriousness of it all. You understand that everyone's going to die because they're in touch with another military base and they're like, this attack was unprompted and spontaneous and it doesn't make sense. You need to take a gamble of not firing your missiles and just, mm. and please believe me that this is not a real thing. And what a gamble! And so no wonder the whole tension is like, should we do this? I don't know, we've got the president on the phone and like, we don't know what to do. Okay, we will decide to not do it. And obviously like when they ring back into the other military base, it takes a couple of minutes before someone's like, yes, we're still here. No one's been blown up, it, it wasn't real, it's fine. So then you're thinking like, oh my God, what if they had fired the missiles? Like, but as a kid, as a kid, did you get the gravity of that? Did you get the oh, weight of it? Oh yeah, as a kid, I was, I remember being, and I mean, I was a teenager, but I remember being captivated by that. Is this, um, it, it, you have to understand, I, God, I don't remember the name of it, but there was a made for TV movie about nuclear war 
that you really felt when you finished watching it, you really felt like that's what had happened outside, that you were going to go outside and, and the world was gone. Oh and so projects like that existed. So yeah, I mean, I was totally caught up in the moment of, is this going to be the end? And frankly, it feels so real. I remember as a teenager even thinking, is this going to be the end for me? Not just the movie. Yeah. See, I, I grew up, I, I searched it last night. I, I was only 300 miles away from Washington, D.C. Oh uh, Northern Virginia actually shows up as one of the strike locations on the map when he's running his first simulation. Or the, no, the fake, the fake out, the bluff missile attacks. Mm -hmm. Norfolk is shown on screen. That's Northern Virginia. That's, you know, two, 200, 250 miles away. Mm -hmm. So nuclear war was a real threat because I knew I lived close enough to a primary target that that would be it. Like mm -hmm. if those missiles went off, that's it. I'm done. So watching a movie where that's a real possibility terrified me. I mean, it was a yeah. good kind of terror, but it was, yeah, it, it yeah. scared the hell out of me. That's crazy. Cause yeah, I have absolutely no context of that at all. I was very much watching this as a sort of, Ender's Game, Cloak and Dagger, like, this is cute, Matthew Broderick started World War Three. that's kind of tense. But, <laughs> yeah, to have that parallel of what was going out on in the real world at the same time, and, and to watch it as a kid, and, and to genuinely understand, because your TV is showing you adverts of, like, if the missiles come, please hide under your desk, and, like, a la Iron Giant type stuff, and, yeah, that's that, that gives a whole lay a whole layer to this movie that yeah. i just can't sort of get behind if that makes sense um so yeah no wonder it's like important and pivotal and because i think as a kid i'd have just been like whatever man <laughs> yeah and my my son came in the room while i was watching it last night um I, I didn't try to get him to watch it because i didn't remember it's been so long since i've seen it i didn't remember how much it might be he's 11 so he's definitely younger than i was when i first saw it mm -hmm. but he did ask me you know he, he i remember it, it was i think this was a bedtime stalling technique but I, he he asked me he's like so what's the premise behind this movie you're watching and i explained it to him and he was just like huh <laughs> <laughs> and he doesn't he i mean admittedly there was concern about world war three happening you know just a few months ago yeah, but he's yeah. yeah he he's he doesn't connect into that so he's he's not old enough to really be aware of that so i don't think he would have the same response to the movie that i had when i first saw it and i just yeah. now it's watching it one it's still a good movie oh, like i yeah. really i think it holds up really well That'd but two, it still pulls back that emotional response that I had when I first watched it. As I said, that scene on the beach where Matthew Broderick is lamenting not having time to swim and then is like, I wish I didn't know any of this. Mm -hmm. You know, and there, there's a, I still emotionally connect with that of, you know, is ignorance bliss? Would it be better? Would he be happier if he had no idea and just woke up the next day or didn't wake up the yeah. next day, yeah. you know? It, it, there's there's a part of me that still really emotionally connects to that not so because of where i am now but because of where i was when i first saw this mm -hmm. yeah that's really really interesting i i would i mean i enjoyed it i enjoyed the movie i think it's i think it's valid it's it's a valid movie i think it's still relevant today it's got i think if it didn't have the last 20 minutes it may be a bit more forgettable but yes. it wouldn't be the movie that it is without 
the end 20 minutes so I'm surprised that I and maybe it's just because I've never heard of it I don't acknowledge it but I've never seen it on TV it seems like a very sort of Sunday afternoon movie but it's never, <laughs> it's never there like the Goonies is on all the time um, but this is as I said, I've literally never, ever even heard of it, let alone seen it or been aware of its existence at all. Um, so I wonder why that is. Why? It's yeah, and they tried doing, they did a remake slash reboot of it um, a couple of years ago that went direct to DVD. Um, I, despite having a screener copy of it, because I worked for a website where I was writing DVD reviews at the time, uh, I've never watched it <laughs> because I just had zero interest in you know, I mean, this is to me a classic iconic movie, mm -hmm. but I wonder if part of the reason they sent the, the remake or, or sequel to DVD is because it just wasn't in public consciousness, kind of like as you're saying, you know, yeah. I mean, they did, they remade Red Dawn and put that in theaters and even got, you know, a Hemsworth in it, mm -hmm. but a remake or, or redo of, of War Games just wasn't there enough, I guess, to warrant a theatrical release. Yeah. It's it's not something we really think about anymore. How Which is a shame because it's a brilliant movie. And I mean, my my dad, I, I guarantee you, if I texted him right now to say, hey, watched War Games last night, the response I would get from him would be, shall we play a game? That, that, <laughs> that line is in my family's DNA at this point. Oh, that's <laughs> so cool. I love that. I love it when it does that. Um, yeah, no, I really, I really liked it. I think the last 20 minutes was, was incredible. Um, and the rest of the movie is very charming and makes them really, uh, it's got some emotional weight to it as well. I think the performances are really strong. Um, yeah, anything else you want to say about it, really? Oh, there's so much brilliance to this film. And, and I, I always love, you know, we've gotten to a point in filmmaking nowadays where filmmakers feel like they have to hit the audience over the head with information in order for you to get it. And there's, there's little subtleties in here that I absolutely love. Like um, yeah, that opening scene, okay, with the two guards and the one pulls, you know, the, as I said, Michael Madsen pulls the gun on the other guy, right? And that's where the scene ends. So you don't know, did he shoot him or yeah. such? And when they're doing the computer installation, okay, McKittrich wins, they're gonna do the computer installation. It's the other guy looking at them installing the computer. So it's this subtle little moment that if you're paying attention, you go, oh, he didn't get shot. He didn't yeah. die. But yeah. it's, not, it's not put in your face. It's just him, he's out of a job now. He's looking at the computer being installed with a little bit of frustration as he's leaving his post for the last time, mm -hmm. you know? Um, using Joshua as the password for the computer. Yeah. This is 1983, right? People still do that today. Like yeah. there are um there are hackers, there are thieves nowadays who what they will do is they will get a job in IT and they will go work for a company for like 2 weeks. And in those 2 weeks they will get to know the employees. They'll just be, "Hey Emily, how you doing? How's your kid doing?" And in those two weeks, they will collect your personal information enough that they know your kid's name, they know your birthday, they know your kid's birthday, and that's enough information for them to hack into your computer or even your house because what do you use as a password on your security system? Your kid's birthday, your birthday. People still fall for this shit. And, and yet here's a movie from 1983 saying, hey, maybe don't use your kid's name as a password because it's easily guessable. Joshua one two three. It's just right. Joshua. 
Right, but it's but it, and it's like very easy to look at it now and go, oh, nobody would ever do that. You're doing it. I do. It's so true. <laughs> it's so true. I am terrified. You know, you know, you know when you've got like three passwords that you just circulate around everything, and you're just right, like, which you're not supposed to do, but everybody does it. Everyone does it because to change your password every week or whatever is like really inconvenient. Um, so then we get really annoyed when they rob us online, and we're like, how did this happen? Because we're stupid. Yeah. No, I mean, I just, there's, there's so much good about this movie. I mean, the performances, we talked about John Wood, Matthew Broderick, Ali Sheedy, you know, I mean, I, I love the, the, the general, Barry Corbin, who apparently ad-libbed a lot of his dialogue, really? which I, which I find hard to believe, but that's what is out there when I was looking at research. But I, like, I know him from the TV show, Northern Exposure. That's where I know him. And on that show, he's a retired astronaut. So he has that military discipline to him, mm-hmm. but he has a soft side. And like I said, you know, I, I alluded, we would get to it later. I guess we'll get to get to it here. The computer is playing him which yeah. is like an early rule of game theory. You're not playing the game, you're playing the people. Well, the computer tells Matthew Broderick earlier on that its goals are to get down to DEFCON 1 and launch missiles. Mm-hmm. And every time there's a fake out that the general falls for, he lowers the DEFCON level. So the computer is playing him by faking him out and making him think that stuff is going on and he's responding exactly what the computer thinks he's going to respond. Yeah. And so when he answers that plea at the end of the movie of don't, the computer never would have anticipated that. Like he could have saved everything if at any point, instead of lowering DEFCON, he had gone, okay, that was a fake out. Take us back to DEFCON 3 Mm -hmm. instead of staying at 2, you know? he's falling for the tricks that Joshua is setting for him. And at the same time, you don't blame him. You know, he's a military man. He is going by the book and that's what starts the struggle between him and McKittridge at the beginning of the movie. And it's, it's so brilliantly done partially because of the writing, because the script is really well-written part of because of the, the, just the way that the director shot it, but also Barry Corbin is just a phenomenal actor. And as much as you want to hate him, you can understand him this is the thing i never once was like against him i was more against they make you more against dabney coleman because you're like boo machines are bad but even then there's there's not really a villain you could argue joshua is the villain in the end but even he is not a villain there is no bad guy in this movie no and that's kind of what's scary about the cold war is who was the bad the bad guy were the russians well the russians don't even enter into this other than they keep stepping up their defenses in response to the American military stepping up. Mm-hmm. So the Russia is really only a shadow of this movie. They're the bad guy of the Cold War for us in America. Mm-hmm. I wager that if somebody listens to this podcast in Russia, they'd be going, no, the Americans <laughs> were the bad guys. Because yeah. um, it's all about perspective. But that I, I didn't even think about it until you just said that this movie has lots of antagonists in that an antagonist is anything that causes conflict. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't have an overarching villain. Even Joshua is just following its programming. It's just trying to play a game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a real sort of humanity, innocence, whatever you want to call it, across the board. It's very Princess Mononoke, where it's just like, I guess just pick a side. And then and, whoever you're against is the villain. And my girlfriend will now love you for 
making a Princess Mononoke <laughs> reference. <laughs> She's already decided the two of you are best friends. Yay! So <laughs> that's not what happens. Get her on him. <laughs> yeah, no, I I love this movie, and I just I loved the fact I I was a little skeptical when you said you hadn't seen it, mm-hmm. and then you know just it's been easily a decade since I last watched it, if not longer. Um, I was a little hesitant that it wasn't going to hold up and I was really happy when I sat down to watch it. It was like, nope, this is still a really good movie. It's solid. It's really solid. And yeah, I'm not going to lie. I, I I chose it because I had never heard of it and because I was like, this will be really interesting because it will either be one of those movies that the reason I've never heard of it is because like it was just a bit lame and like there's a certain generation of people that still cling to it because they were just like it's my childhood right or it's a little hidden gem like i really loved cloak and dagger when i watched it again never even heard of it and i need to revisit that one because i did i I, see i was a D &D kid too so Mm. cloak and dagger had everything for me henry thomas from et and D &D references and dabney coleman i need to revisit it but i remember when i first saw it it, probably the mid 90s i loved it it's honestly i had such fun watching it and i had a really good time watching this as well i was like this is a legit movie like and i know it's i'm always biased because i love kids movies and i always manage to find something in all of them that i enjoy but but all of these ones that i would never have watched when i was a kid because i was like does it have a dragon in it then i'm not interested Um, yeah, anything that was, like, vaguely based in reality. There were so many of them as well. So many of those, like, video games are a thing now. And oh, God, our yes. teenage male protagonist is doing something massive with some video games. And I'm like, let's go to some fantasy land and read a book. Yeah. Well, also, a lot of those video games are a thing now type movies. They're terrible. Yeah. I mean, they were terrible at the time, but we bought into them because we loved video games. But now, looking back at them, they're they're just awful. And this one holds up. It's 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 a lot of them were unashamedly like commercials. Like uh, Cloak and Dagger was literally a commercial for Atari, but it managed to have enough heart to it that it justified itself as a kids' movie. Whereas this one, everyone's a little bit older, and instead of father son relationship being rebuilt, it's nuclear war is bad and there is no <laughs> real winner which is like amazing i love it when kids movies are like hey death also <laughs> political commentary and important life lessons beyond reading a book is good for you and i think that's important like i think we've sheltered our kids too much from that as mm. children's entertainment has developed um you know i love i love disney films i'm a huge disney file and i you know, it's it's not my favorite aspect of Disney films, but I love that Disney films will still include death when it serves the story. You know, that <clears throat> there's almost always still an absent parent. You know, that's just, that's a Disney trope. But I, I think that's important. And I, I, I think it was Neil Gaiman who talked about, it's important to expose kids to those things so that they can adjust to it and become wholesome not wholesome but become well-rounded individuals you know that that's understanding death understanding sickness these are the things we want to shelter our kids from but it's also the thing that they have to understand as an adult so they've got to be exposed to it at some point in order to become a real full person Person. trust neil gaiman to put it eloquently and like thoughtfully i'm always just like put death in your movies because kids need to be scared (laughs) But that goes, I mean, I think about the movies of my childhood 
and they all had some dark element to it. I mean, we, we, you and I talked about Labyrinth. It's got a dark element to it. Yeah. You know, The Dark Crystal has a dark element to it. And these, are, these were the movies I loved growing up. Yeah. But I also feel like, you know, as much as I want to shelter my own kid away from some of those things, it's part of why I want him to watch those movies is so he, he is exposed to that. Yeah, I really think they should be exposed. And Neil Gaiman put it rightly. But it also means that you can come to it again as an adult and enjoy it and find a, a better meaning. Like uh, when I revisited Homeward Bound, I was like, this is the saddest fucking movie I've ever seen. And I wept the entire way through. Whereas as a kid, I would have just been like, yay, dogs. I loved you guys' conversation about Homeward Bound. <laughs> I have to admit, I loved that. Yay. It was such a good conversation. She's such a joy. Lauren is so lovely. Um, but yeah. Um, so have not seen this. Yes. Um, so have not seen this. The premise behind it is uh, it's a podcast. comes out every Wednesday where I have a guest on and we discuss a movie of their choosing. That's the golden rule of my podcast is I don't get a say in the movie. Um, we talk a movie of their choosing that they love, that they're a little surprised when they find out pe some people haven't seen. And we talk about the movie. We talk about how it relates to life. Um, you can find it on all major podcast sources and um, it's on Twitter at have not seen this on Facebook at have not seen this podcast. Amazing. Seriously, check it out. Cause it's, you're such a good host. You've got such a good structure and you get like, it was so enjoyable. I felt in such good hands. Um, well, when I, came I loved having you on. It really was. <laughs> I, I, I've not laughed so much <laughs> discussing a movie so I, I think yours is one of the most entertaining conversations I've had. Uh, I, and it's, it's on the heels of some really good conversations. And one of the things I'm loving about doing it is talking with international guests. You know, we, we yeah. talked about the, the, the cultural line earlier that you didn't know what tic-tac-toe was. Well, I, I had a guest pick The Matrix and he lives in Algeria. He lives, wow. he's never been in a movie theater. Oh, and it wow. ended up being the most phenomenal conversation about how that movie relates to him, how that movie relates to us in the world today. And just, I mean, it was, it blew my mind. I mean, some, I've had some, I've had some bummer conversations on there too, but I, especially lately, just some phenomenal episodes. So I, yeah, please check it out. I love yeah. it, but yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Like, as I keep saying, I'd never heard of this movie and now I'm so happy that I know of it. Um, oh. I'm glad to have introduced you to it then. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, definitely. Don't worry. I genuinely, genuinely enjoyed it. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thank um, you for having me. I appreciate it. It's been great. And we'll see you next time on Why This Film. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy Why This Film, why not head to iTunes and leave us a review? And you can now support Why This Film on Patreon from as little as £1 a month. Just head to patreon.com forward slash Why This Film Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at Why This Film Podcast, on Instagram at Why This Film Podcast, and on Twitter at Why This Film Pod. If you'd like to come on the show and talk about your favourite childhood movie, email into us at whythisfilmpodcast at gmail.com. Hello everybody, I'm Adam. I'm John. And every week we are giving you a blast from our past. 
We are the podcast that brings you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, album reviews, top tens, and more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. So please join us every single week on the Blast From Our Past podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, however you listen to podcasts, you can find us, and we would love to have you take a trip with us to the land of nostalgia. why this film podcast has a patreon patreon is a membership platform that makes it easy for artists and creators to get paid head to patreon.com forward slash why this film podcast and you can select a tier for three pound a month you can join camelot and enjoy early access to episodes including seasons one to three you'll get to vote in polls and get a personal shout out on the pod for £5 a month, you can join Fern Gully with instant access to everything from Camelot. Fern Gully members can also enjoy bonus content, live episode voting power, plus access to monthly movie night. Grab your popcorn and a drink of your choice as we pajama up and watch a movie together remotely. And for £10 a month, you can join the Enchanted Forest, where on top of everything from Camelot and Fern Gully, you can be part of a live episode where we all discuss a movie chosen by you. And if you're not into 80s and 90s animated tiers, you can skip all that and make a custom pledge of an amount that suits you. Or you can head over to co-fi.com forward slash why this film podcast and buy me a coffee with a one-off payment. We will be adding hot chocolate to that coffee and probably cream and marshmallows and sprinkles, but you don't need to worry about that. Thank you to all who donate, and thanks to my patron David for supporting this episode on Patreon. Why This Film Podcast is my happy place. I love chatting to guests and revisiting long-lost movies, and I hope you do too.